0: Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 390 for Tuesday, the 10th of March, 2015. I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Kelsey Jensen. How are you? Hi! So nice to see you tonight. I'm excited. We are going to start a new series. This one's cool. How to create the world's most incredible slideshow from still images. I ain't talking about your grandma's slideshow. Or your These are going to be awesome.
1: Or your grade three slideshow is going to be a better slideshow. Hey, slide show.
0: my grade three slideshow was incredible. <laughs> I was innovative for a grade three kid. <laughs> Sasha Dermatis. Hey, uh <laughs>
2: Hello. Here's what's coming up in the Category Five dot TV newsroom. A pair of exploits in hardware and software used for playing Blu-ray discs have come to light. Physicists are abuzz with possibilities for metamaterials that can be designed to have surprising properties. Fujitsu has developed imaging processing technology that can be used to track people in security camera footage even when their images are heavily blurred. Microsoft has issued a security warning about a bug that could let attackers spy on supposedly secure communications. That American has been arrested in the United Arab Emirates for comments he posted while on Facebook in the U.S. And Star Trek Online has paid tribute to the late actor Leonard Nimoy with two permanent in-game statues of Spock. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show.
1: This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring... Sasha Dermatis.
2: Hillary Rumble.
1: Krista Wells.
2: Eric Kidd. And your host, Robbie Ferguson.
0: This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. Robbie Ferguson here. Kelsey Jensen. How are you? Nice to see you. Hi, welcome. Thanks for being here. Somebody in the chat room was saying, are we going to do Ken Burns? <laughs> and I, we're going to take Ken Burns to the next level. Ooh. Oh.
1: <laughs> now, for everyone who has no idea what Ken Burns is.
0: We'll talk about that. All righty. Just not now.
1: Okay. Now's not
0: the time, Kelsey. Come on.
1: I'm sorry. But, of course, Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN, and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIB.
0: Did you happen to catch the Google Plus Hangout that happened a couple weeks ago?
1: It was so much fun.
0: What was so cool about that? I think the tour, the yes. live tour. We took uh, 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 an iPod Touch. Mm-hmm. The late, the latest gen, like it's got a 1080p camera in it. Which is pretty- connected. It it's pretty good. Uh, connected it wirelessly to Telestream Wirecast with Wirecast Cam, mm-hmm. and Sasha was followed around the studio
1: with the monopod. With or a, or yeah, carried with by
0: a you. and and so we we captured a live. Uh, virtual, tour, virtual tour or studio tour of, mm-hmm. of the new studio space. So if you haven't caught that, that's a really uh, exciting thing to be able to uh, check out and see You know what the space is that we're working with here at Studio D. Uh, you can actually get that on our YouTube channel, Linux Tech Show. Um, so check that out. If you're not already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to that YouTube channel, Linux Tech Show.
1: Another cool thing that was there mm. on that night Carrie Webb was there.
0: Carrie Webb was there. Who else?
1: And Eric Kidd was there.
0: Eric Kidd was there.
1: It was great. Were you
0: there? Everybody was there. I hope you were. But if you weren't, it's also on Roku. Under special features, you'll see the Google Plus Hangouts section. And incidentally, we're getting a lot of views on that video. And Category 5 in general is seeing a, a fair number of views. I believe our... Weekly average is about 190,000 right now.
1: Which is terrifying, but also really cool. (laughs) I'm
0: suddenly very, very nervous.
1: And how much is our monthly?
0: Monthly is almost a million. We're at about 800,000 and a half or so So per month. So thank you very much for tuning into Category 5 TV. And we just, you know, it's all up and up. From here, right, we're we're gonna learn some really cool things uh, over the next little while. This year is very exciting. As you probably, I mean, I hope that you know, but realistically, having moved into a new studio, it was it was a really really crazy busy time for us. And so there was kind of that transition period of getting into the new space, getting familiar with it. Mm-hmm. We're still moving things around. I had to say to Adam, our camera guy here tonight, uh, that we you know we had to move. The whole studio down to make way for Sasha's new virtual desk because we didn't have really the space. Cool, yeah. Pretty neat.
1: Pretty nifty, but
0: it takes up a lot of room. Yeah, not really. It's virtual. Okay. It's a lot bigger on screen than it is in real life. But we still had to move everything back. So, uh, you know, there's all these kinds of things. We're still kind of adapting to the space. I mean, so mm-hmm. uh, so it's. Uh, I think as we learn our space, and we're really kind of getting to that point. But yeah. uh, as we learn the space and what we're capable of with this place. Uh, the show is going to get better and better oh, because yeah. now we're feeling more comfortable here.
1: It's going to be a lot of fun. I think so. It's going to be great.
0: It's so nice having you come along for that ride and that journey. Uh, now we're kind of coming out, out on the, the flip side and excited to see what we're going to have for you over the next you know, six months, next year.
1: Yeah. Thank you for joining us.
0: What else? Oh, uh, okay. With growth. 190,000 viewers uh, per week. Uh, Extreme costs. Our internet service bill came in for February and it was insane. I... I don't know if I still have the scar from when I bumped my head on the floor, but uh, it's getting there. So uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who have contributed over the past couple of weeks uh, through a donation, through purchases in our online store. Uh, But also, a unique way to support the show is by using our affiliate links, going through, you know, if you're going to shop at Amazon or eBay or, you know, any number of online stores, you can go through our website, category5.tv, You click on support the show and our affiliate links. And all you have to do is just follow the link to Amazon and then do your shopping.
1: That's pretty useful.
0: People are buying their toilet paper that way. (laughs) No lie. Whoever you are. I know you're out there. Thank can, you. Uh, yeah, so I got I got our, our second uh, commission check uh, Monday from Amazon for the sales uh, that you know you guys have been uh, guys and gals have been purchasing through our affiliate link, and that is about half of our internet bill for the entire month. So it uh, makes a huge huge difference to even go and be buying things like toilet paper.
1: Yeah, just buy whatever you can off of Amazon.
0: You're gonna do it anyway. And I'll a lot of people, out. I think these days especially, people are, are going through a lot of uh, uh, online stores in order to do their purchases. Mm-hmm. It's very convenient, and yes. it's so fast these days. Oh, yes. If you're buying direct, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get here. So, mm-hmm. And uh, Dreamweaver909 making the comment that also they're doing groceries now. <laughs>
1: so, so, uh, so if you don't, you don't know how like the going- milk
0: would be after a trip so around. So
1: if you don't like going outside... Amazon is a place for you.
0: <laughs> you can support the show and be a hobbit or whatever it is. <laughs> a
1: hermit.
0: Hermit. Hermit, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, I can just throw hobbit in anywhere and it's still appropriate.
1: Yeah. But hobbits like outside. They live in holes in the ground. I know it was so it was outside. a
0: mistake. I was trying to think of it and I and I missed it. Um so there's that. Thank yes. you, everybody, for supporting us over the past little while and, and continuing to do so. It's really necessary yes. um, because the new space is much more expensive than working mm-hmm. in the basement of my house. So, yeah. uh, Category 5.TV's newsroom with Sasha Dermatis. Speaking of numbers, uh, thank you for watching her show. She hit a milestone on the weekend.
1: What did she do?
0: Saturday, she hit a half million viewers.
1: Ooh. She's only been on the
0: air for since October. Yeah. Here we are, it's March, so October, November, December, January, February, March, f- four, five months. So that's pretty good. Thanks, everybody. So that's a, another great milestone. Checking out the Category5.tv newsroom through our YouTube channel. Uh, also at newsroom.category5.tv, uh, the video link is there. And uh, also on Roku, it's there. We're on uh, RSS feeds for her show as well. So that's pretty cool. Well, what do you think?
1: What do I think?
0: I know you want to get into it because this yes. is something that is exciting to you. Yes, I As like well it. as the viewers, as well as me, as well as Adam. He's, a, he's all giddy. <laughs> he's excited. He's <laughs> just like, <laughs> make it so, Robbie. Uh, this is going to be cool. What we are doing uh, over the course of the next few weeks is we are going to be learning how to create uh, a slideshow that is so awesome because we are taking still photographs and making it look quite a bit like video. Ooh. And that's how our slideshow is going to go. Now, one of our viewers mentioned the Ken Ken Burns effect off the top of the show and was wondering, you know, is that what we're going to do? Are we going to be learning how to do Ken Burns effect? So what that is basically, if you imagine a photograph, and Ken Burns, of course, is a documentary filmmaker, okay. and he's kind of become the trademark uh, as far as this particular effect goes. So he takes old military photos and, you know, things that are... Obviously, still photographs, and gets the camera in nice and tight and moves around on that image. Right. So it gives this little bit of a perception that it is motion video because there mm-hmm. is a, a movement over that photograph.
1: But it's actually a still photo.
0: It's a still photo. Huh. There's not a lot of depth to it. Although there are sometimes with the Ken Burns effect, you can actually you know have the zooming in and panning around. Mm-hmm. You've probab- probably seen the effect before. Yeah. But what we're going to do is we're going to take it one step further and we're going to do some parallaxing as well. Are you familiar with what that means? Nope. Okay. You're driving in a car on uh, an interstate, let's okay. say, because we want this to be really fancy. <laughs> so if you can imagine, you look out and there are cactuses, obviously. Of
1: course, because why wouldn't there be cactuses on an interstate?
0: Ex- well, not on the interstate because Whoa. then you'd be swerving in and out and that, uh, that's really dangerous. So they cut those ones down, but the ones that are in the field just to your right, as you're driving at hundred kilometers an hour or whatever that is in miles per hour, maybe you know, I have no idea. Sixty. Okay, so you're traveling down this interstate. You look out your window. In the distance are beautiful snow capped mountains. Obviously, of it's course. the desert. And so, <laughs> so you're you're picturing this, aren't you? And this is totally messed up <laughs> because there's also a, a, a herd of caribou and uh a, a, some deer i have no idea where forget we are about in the animals. world forget about the animals this is probably some surreal place but yeah, anyway so as you're driving cool. you look out your window and what do you see you see cactus 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 but the mountain is moving so slowly in that background yeah. as the cactuses are flying by right. now why is that it's because of the distance to those mountains um, they're real. The, between right? the cactus, yeah. And the cactuses are closer, so they're moving quite a bit faster. And anything between the cactuses and the mountains are going to seem like it's moving a little bit slower than the cactuses, yeah. but faster than the mountain. Right. So that's called parallaxing. So where we lose that kind of three-dimensional effect in a photo is because we can't turn the photo and see the parallax effect of, uh, of that photograph because it's still mm-hmm. photo. Now, your phone does something a little bit... Unique. My
1: phone's great. It's got two cameras on it. Uh, so what it like on the back? So you can do like 3d photos and right. it's a really like, it's so much fun. I was playing around with it the other day and it's just it's so much fun. Can we, fun. can we
0: see it? Uh, is it Adam, available? If Adam
1: brings me my Adam, phone, could
0: you, you've got a microphone there and you can, you can bring that into the set if you like, uh, Adam's just a gonna, bag,
1: <clears throat> bag. So <laughs>
0: this phone is able uh, to yeah, simulate a, a bit of a parallaxing <laughs> effect. Yeah. Hi Adam. Oh, hello. Thanks. Sorry, my camera guy could have zoomed in on you or at least raised (laughs) up the camera, but no. No. So he's just a just a a So I'm just gonna take a photo. Okay, you wanna take a photo of Adam?
1: Yes. I will. Okay. Okay. And So that's good? Yep, that's good.
0: So this is going to create a parallax style image because her camera which what kind of phone is this?
1: It's an HTC one mate.
0: Okay. So this has two lenses. And is able to create a very if, I mean, subtle... If you,
1: look at, if you scroll in here, or if you zoom in, I guess, like you can see it. there's well, he's one up here and then there's one Oh,
0: okay. Up yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and and, and a cool there. robot. Yeah. So this okay. is able to create a, a, a bit of a pseudo-parallaxing effect. Yeah. There you go. So if we can show that to the camera and if you can get in there. Now, as you tilt the, the phone, see how the back behind him that gives a real kind of perception of it, it's popping out of the screen, isn't it, a little bit?
1: I don't know how well they can see it, but... It's
0: a little bit harder on, on yeah. camera.
1: Just because of everything. But you can
0: kind of see that, that effect of the background moving at a little bit of a different rate than the phone or the... So that's a bit of a parallax effect, yeah. but it's very, very subtle because it's created by two lenses mm-hmm. taking two pictures at the same time, a bit of a 3D kind of effect.
1: Yeah.
0: But cool nonetheless. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a photo and we're going to actually create parallax on a flat image. So this is an excellent exercise for, say, wedding photographs, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps some nice photos of your family. You know, you go for a family hike or take a vacation and you want to do something a little bit bit nicer. Um, For example, kids building a sandcastle or something. And, oh, well, that would make a really great parallax photo. So you take this still photo, even though you don't have equipment to do something fancy like your phone does. We can take a still photo and then parallax it so that we can actually move around in that photo space just a little bit so that it creates that kind of video-like, almost like a slow-motion video, so that we've got that real slow kind of pan, but because of the parallaxing that we're adding, it actually kind of moves the background at the same time as the subject and gives us that 3D effect. Now, at the end of this series, you're going to actually be able to see this very effect but we're taking the the wondrous uh kind of trip to that point so you're going to learn along with us as we as we learn to do this another example of where this may be good is say you've got old photos right photos of uh, people who are long gone for -hmm. example loved ones or even uh historical photos you know that you want to do something a little fancier for when it comes to your presentation or something along those lines we can do some really, really cool with the, uh, stuff with those old photos. Um, and, uh, of course, we all have photos that are just our favorite photos. You just happen to be at the right place at the right time, and you've got one of those Kodak moments, if you will, and, and that is the photo that I want to use to do a parallax effect. Mm-hmm. Now, for tonight, uh, for our first demonstration in the series, we're going to be taking a look at this photo of my kids uh, on, a, on bleachers in uh, Halliburton County. This is in the town of Halliburton. And uh, so, sitting there on the bleachers, we want to take this still photo, which, using uh, Ken Burns effect, we could do something you know along this line where we can you know pan over the image now i'm not actually animating i 'm just simply dragging the the bar so that 's kind of the Ken Burns effect with maybe a little bit of zooming in at the same time, yeah, so it has that kind of a, a thing to it, but we 're going to take it to the next level so first of all, now, this is quite a process. Per photo, but we want to learn the basics of what is needed in order to do that. So basically, what we want to end up with is layers. Okay. So when I create, if I was an artist and I was able to paint... I would first create the background layer and then on top of that, say in Photoshop, I would create the next layer and the next layer so that I can move things around. Now, with a still photograph, we don't have that advantage unless you happen to plan it out in such a way that, huh, I was smart. I set up a tripod. I took a picture of the background first. Then I got the kids in there. (laughs) Then I took the picture of the kids. Then it's a lot easier to work with. But But we don't don't have that. We don't have that advantage. So we've got to work with a photograph from the archives that was taken with a camera just in my hands and just snapped. And now we want to turn it into video. So that's a little bit tricky. But if you follow along, as I say, you're going to learn how to do this entire process. But we do need layers. So what we need to do, first of all, is duplicate our layer. Never work on your master layer because if you break something you want to be able to go back. So I'm going to turn off that top layer, and then I'm going to work on my bottom layer here. I'm using the GNU Image Manipulation Program. I love it because it's free.
1: And yay. And it's awesome. It does pretty much the same thing as Photoshop without the cost.
0: Exactly. There you go. She hit the nail on the head. I was thinking we should have a jingle that we maybe can sing every time we introduce the GNU Image Manipulation Program.
1: GNU Image Manipulation.
0: Yeah. It's really great, and it's free. It's available for Linux, Mac, and Windows. Well, that's
1: pretty. Can't
0: go wrong with that, right? So that's free software that we're using tonight. We're going to do our best to use all free software throughout the course of these demonstrations so that you can follow along without having to spend any cold, hard cash, and then instead you can just donate it to us. Yeah.
1: Don't spend $60 on a Photoshop program. Don't even. Spend $60 on us.
0: I like her style. This is why we keep her around, folks. Okay. So here's my photo. Lovely little picture, but here's the thing. Okay, remember, I've got two layers here so that when I've edited the bottom layer, the original, I still have the top layer to work with.
1: What is another thing we should do often? Save and save often.
0: Save and save often and save all your layers. Yes. So don't save as a JPEG because then you lose your layers. Plain and simple. So we're going to learn about that in just a couple of minutes' time. So there's the clone tool over here on the right-hand side. It looks like a little bit of a stamp. Don't get lost. If you hover over it, it will say clone tool. All right. I know what that is. It's the clone tool. I have selected the layer that I am currently viewing. See how it's vis- visible?
1: Now it's not, and then it is again. Okay.
0: So now the clone tool. Exactly. Uh, what, I, what I've done is I've clicked a single click. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn on my... uh, Right now, you can't see my mouse, can you? So I'm going to just do a little quick thing here. Uh, We're going to go comp is dash dash replace. And kaboom. Now you should be able to see my mouse. Lovely thing. Okay. So as I... hold in my left control key and click somewhere on the image, it creates this crisscross. Now, if I go over here and I draw over my son... Notice what I've done, all right? I'm going to undo that because what I first want to do is I want to make my brush a lot larger. So over here with, remember, we've got the uh, clone tool selected. My brush size, oh, it is actually on my right-hand side here. The size is set to 20 pixels right now. Now, I want to we increase that. We want a whole that.
1: lot bigger than that. Yeah,
0: like 380 is like that. Uh, this is a big image, by the way. So that's that's going to fit right in between the bleachers, so that's kind of cool. My image that I'm working with is 4,900 pixels wide and 3,200 pixels high.
1: That's pretty big.
0: Yeah. So as I control and then click, now if I click on my son, it's painting over him with what I clicked over here. Okay? So what I need to do is I need to create that bottom layer of my image because I didn't have the convenience of having the camera on a tripod and being able to snap the background and then snap my kids in the shot. It doesn't always work that way. When you got kids, you take what you get, that's how You'll it goes. You leave the rest. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to undo that. We're going to do the best job we can. We need to look at my boys uh, and my daughter and see, okay, what is happening in the background? Now we see that there are some yellow flowers. So what I want to do is I want to control and click. I've sampled those yellow flowers. So now if I click up here, I'm drawing with that texture. See that? So now if I click over here, I'm able to draw over top with that texture. As soon as I hit his foot, it's going to start sampling his foot. See that? So I need to then stop clicking so that it goes back to its sample over here and then start painting over top again. And I just need to keep on doing that. I'm going to zoom out just a little ways so that you can really get a feel for what it is that I'm doing. So, so see what I'm doing I'm not I'm not painting over see I got a little bit of the bench there so I may want to move my control click into say this tree and bring some of that tree out this way see that so I basically am able to create a very realistic effect that is going to get them out of the photo, because again, remember, what I'm actually doing here is I'm not working on removing my kids from the photo, I'm working on creating a backdrop for our video. Because we need to be able to parallax over this. There we go. Okay, so I'm going to control click down here, get rid of some of this stuff here, get rid of the bench. And over here. see that pretty cool eh
1: that's interesting that's that's uh, always fun seeing like things that you see like they're one photo and then all of a sudden they're not
0: just not just
1: not. they're different not. now they're different
0: you s- now you see it now you don't
1: exactly all right it's like that movie
0: what movie
1: now you see me now you don't
0: there's a movie called that
1: yeah it's like a magic movie
0: it's so original
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: So I'm, I'm literally, I mean, you can see, Kelsey, what I'm doing here. I'm literally just clicking around, and I'm control-clicking to grab a sample, and then I'm painting over top. So now you see I'm, I'm actually getting a really good effect yeah. that those benches are not there. And in, inevitably, the kids are also not, not going there. to be there. So I'm going to grab my son here. Notice I've control clicked over there, and this is a little bit trickier because you see what's happening here. We've got a building, we've got grass, we've got trees, so I want to kind of move around here. Let's grab this tree. Let's see if I can throw that in there, see what I've done. Okay. I'm going to grab this wall over here. That's a control click, so I've chosen what I'm going to stamp from, and then I'm going to stamp it right here.
1: And, of course, if you make a mistake, you can always hit Control-Z and put control it back. Control-Z
0: will undo, but also you can just grab a new sample.
1: That's true. Right?
0: There we go. So now we've got a new so tree there that, that didn't even exist. And now I can Control-Click on the area that I've, already, that I've just created and continue to work downward. Or pull my daughter out of the shot. Don't worry, Tally, I'm going to put you back. <laughs> okay. So now you see what's happening? I'm, I'm starting to get to the point where I need to consider how the green of the foreground interacts with the kind of darkened shadows of the background. But that's starting to look pretty good. So if I zoom out, I've got this kind of nice greenery in the front. I need to get my other boy out of here.
1: Oh, I missed my...
0: Yeah, I'm going to grab a sample of the building and drag over
1: Except that part of that tree is gone.
0: Yeah, that's okay. Because, see, we plan it out. Planning. Yeah. I hit control Z because I didn't get the line just right. So now I can grab this tree and keep going down. There we go. So we start to get a, a pretty good, pretty good. Now this particular thing doesn't have to be exactly perfect. And the reason for that. Is because the kids are still going to be on the shot mm-hmm. They're still going to be on top The background doesn't have to be perfect We just don't want to see remnants of the kids' shoulders in the background Because yeah. that just wouldn't make any sense no, it'd,
1: it'd look like you'd have two children and something's <laughs> really wrong
0: That's a weird 3D effect So now we've got this background that looks like it's going to work pretty well I can turn back on my foreground and you can see there's my kids And there's the, the background so the next step is really now let's get in here and uh we're gonna uh notice what i've selected here is the uh, lasso marquee the free select tool and i'm gonna get in and start tracing around each of the kids and we're going to do as, as accurate of a job as we can. Now, because of the the fact that this is a demonstration, I'm going a little bit lax with the accuracy a little bit because you may want to spend, say, an hour or two perfecting this photo, whereas we only have an hour show and we've got other things to do. Yes. But we're going to demonstrate the techniques so that you can actually go through and create this really, really awesome effect. So we're going to mm pick it up i'm going to throw over to the newsroom though and uh, kelsey and i are going to keep on working on tracing this uh while we're talking about the news and uh and then we'll be uh we'll be right back with you to carry on where we left off so over to the newsroom here is sasha Dermatis.
2: it's tuesday march 10th 2015 and here are the stories we're covering this week Would you like some malware on your popcorn? Security researcher has found two seriously scary exploits in the way Blu-ray runs hidden code in the background. How can one material make our shoes more comfortable and protect power plants from the effects of earthquakes at the same time? Progress is being made on metamaterials and will give you the latest buzz. Computers can now detect and track people even from very blurry security video footage. The newly announced freak bug allows the interception and easy decryption of supposedly secure data. A man has been arrested for dissing his employer on Facebook and could face up to five years in jail. And the massive multiplayer online game Star Trek Online has paid tribute to Leonard Nimoy, who passed away on February 27th. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere.
0: Aromakey green screen kits are on sale now at cat5.tv green. Save over 50% off the regular price, get all you need to build your very own green screen studio, and start doing special effects for video or still photography now. cat5.tv green.
2: I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category 5.tv newsroom a pair of exploits in hardware and software used for playing Blu-ray discs has come to light Stephen Tompkinson, a security researcher for NCC, presented his research at the Securite conference at Albertay University in Scotland on Friday. At the event he showed how he'd been able to create a Blu-ray disc that detects the player it's running on and then chooses one of two exploits to install malware on the host computer. Blu ray discs support additional content like dynamic menus, which are built into the discs using Blu ray Disk Java, and these use XLETs for user interface. Tompkinson found a flaw in Cyberlink Power DVD, which is included in many Windows based computers, that allowed him to leave the XLET sa- sandbox and launch malicious code. The second exploit targets Blu-ray players. He was able to get root access on a Blu-ray player where he was able to trick the system into running a command that would install malware. Since the video continues to play, users may not even suspect that something malicious is going on in the background. Until the exploits are are fixed, users are being advised to avoid Blu-ray discs from unknown sources. So be careful not to buy your Blu-rays from, you know, a flea market or somewhere where they're at an incredible deal and maybe not in huh. their packaging, Robbie. <laughs> a
0: lot of uh a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. Um you see a lot of bootleg discs and stuff. You know, the flea market's a good example, but you know, mm-hmm. somebody brings out a box of stuff that looks a little shady, maybe not quite legitimate. And uh, they could put malicious code on there. That's a little bit scary, I'll that, tell you.
2: That is scary mm-hmm. and yeah. One of those things where you just, you're better off to just go and pay the extra dollars for safety.
0: Well, they have Netflix these days, too. I mean, hmm. that's
2: true. Hmm. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Physicists are abuzz with possibilities for metamaterials that can be designed to have surprising properties. Tweaking the structure of materials to manipulate things like their appearance is already fairly well known. The next phase is changing their mechanics. A major conference is alive with ideas, designs, and samples, including springy ceramics, unfeelability cloaks, and programmable rubber sponges. They could help build spacecraft tiles or even terrain-sensitive shoe soles. Professor Martin from the Kalrischi Institution of Technology in Germany works on cloaking, but not in the way you're thinking. His aim is to make things invisible. His aim is not to make things invisible. Sorry.
0: <laughs> Which one will <laughs> not, it be? <laughs> he,
2: they will not be invisible. Instead, he wants to hide them from physical forces. And last year, his lab produced a honeycomb-like material that made an object beneath it unfeelable. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. That's exciting. If this particular metamaterial, or this particular metamaterial, was a solid lattice that acts like a fluid in certain ways, deflecting pressure around its hidden cargo. Which, in my opinion, is something the pirates will love. <laughs> in this picture, a small honeycomb structure made from the material was able to successfully cloak the cylinder beneath it from being felt. Wow. Yeah. I yeah.
0: wonder what that would do for... Like, I'd love to have that on the bottom of my shoe.
2: Oh, yeah. And be able to
0: walk and not not feel the stuff that you're stepping on and stuff. Imagine that in, like, a workforce. Oh,
2: how comfortable would like, your... They like,
0: steel-toed shoes with... with Actually, being able to step on a nail and it just kind of absorbs the yeah the nail.
2: As a waitress, let me tell you, if, oh, if I couldn't no feel what I was standing on my whole day, yeah, oh, I'd be a smiley person. Bed all day
0: mattresses,
2: along. wow,
0: mattresses. Think about that.
2: Everybody would be in bed the all the time. Bowling ball example, exactly. That'd be oh, crazy. I like this honeycomb thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Wow, the Princess and the Pea. Wow, <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, there's, it, there's no end to it.
2: <laughs> it was it was shown that a careful pattern of such materials could divert damaging earthquake vibrations. Turning the ground itself into ah. a sort of a metamaterial, it seems, might go so far as to protect a powered station from a tremor. So that's an amazing what development. What a use for it there.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. So you think <laughs> in an earthquake environment where the foundation would shake, possibly crack or fracture and in yeah. a power plant or a nuclear plant. You'd have some serious, serious problems caused by that.
2: My assumption is, though, it's probably something that can't be retrofitted, which means no. that it would be new builds. Yeah, right? exactly.
0: But, I mean, there comes a point in infrastructure where some of these buildings have to be rebuilt anyways or through expansion. I mean, they're building new buildings all the time. But maybe right. some of these old buildings need to be retro uh, rebuilt
2: because mm-hmm. they can't
0: be retrofitted. But that could be an answer to a I lot like of problems.
2: It. I like it. Fujitsu has developed imaging processing technology that can be used to track people in security camera footage, even when the images are heavily blurred. Fujitsu Laboratory said its technology is the first of its kind that can detect people from low-resolution imagery in which faces are indistinguishable. Detecting the movements of people could be useful for retail design, reducing pedestrian congestion in crowded urban areas, or improving evacuation routes for emergencies, it said. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Was that We're right? not falling for yeah, it, right. Fujitsu. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah.
2: Or maybe tracking your every movement. <laughs> Fujitsu used computer vision algorithms to analyze the imagery and identify the rough shapes, such as heads and torsos that remain even if the image is heavily pixelated. The systems can pick out the system can pick out multiple people in a frame even if they overlap. I would wonder though, until this is actually developed, how many people might be misidentified? Using multiple camera sources, it can then determine if two given targets are the same person by focusing in on the distinctive colors of a person's clothing. An indoor test of the system was able to track the paths of 80% of test subjects. So 20% can't be tracked. And I just <laughs> those, are the, to, those
0: are the ones wearing the invisibility cloak.
2: That's right, or yes. that, that dress.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't differentiate the color. <laughs> Would the computer be able to figure it out?
2: Oh, you know, I I like this in some ways, and it scares me. In um, this technology, many ways. Yeah.
0: okay. So to be clear, it's not tracking. Okay, the tech. This technology is not saying that's Sasha Dermatis right. walking through the mall.
2: They're saying that's a torso. It's saying
0: that is a torso, and it's the same torso that I see on this camera, and it's the same torso that I saw over here ten minutes ago. Right. But then cross-reference that with other software with a higher resolution camera at the entrance of the mall. This is what they're not telling us. High-resolution camera takes a picture of you on your way in and says, okay, yep, he's the one he's the only one wearing that sweater.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, yeah.
0: And, uh, so as now, now they have a high res image of me, they've put it through facial recognition programs, which already exist. And they're able to say, Hey, that's Robbie Ferguson. We've got, uh, now we've got access to his social profiles and, uh, we can see all this information about him. And then using the low resolution cameras, they can then track my movement through them all. And they can say, Oh, even though these cameras say, I, I don't know who that person is, we can cross reference that data with other high-resolution data and say, oh, that's Robbie Ferguson there
1: yeah. walking
0: through the mall, even though we can't tell from that particular image. So it's almost like a coating, oh, well, you can't really tell who it is. Well, Here. you can if you cross-reference the data because we're able to track. So if I'm able to look at you and say, that's Sasha Dermatis, and then from afar I can still see you walking, even though I can't, from afar tell that Identif- that's you yeah. i know that that's you so i can make that differentiation so can a computer that's what they're not telling us and that's where it becomes a little bit ominous
2: why why on earth would you put something like this out and call it something other than what it is why spin it in a positive way when everybody could deduce that so this that the would
0: public happen- will approve of it
2: it doesn't matter. Because person
0: of interest is the next step.
2: Right. But it doesn't matter if we approve of it or not. It's going to happen anyway. It is
0: absolutely already happening. You know
2: happening. what? You have to just wear layers. Wear layers and take off <laughs> your layers of clothing. <laughs> Protect yourself. <laughs> change your posture. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I can't figure time.
0: it out. I don't know who that guy with the yellow dress shirt is.
2: The, this umbrella that this guy is carrying yes. keeps Where changing that colors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I could go shopping and change in the change room. There you go.
2: Oh, I don't even know what to say.
0: Yeah.
2: Other than, Microsoft has issued a security warning about a bug that could let attackers spy on supposedly sup- secure communications. Called Freak, the bug was found in software used to encrypt data passing between web servers and web users. Initially, the flaw was thought only to affect some users on Android and BlackBerry phones and Apple's Safari web browser. Microsoft's warnings suggest millions more might be at risk of losing data. The freak flaw was discovered by encryption and security expert Karthikeyan Bargavin, and lets attackers force data traveling between a vulnerable site and a visitor to use weak encryption. This makes it easier to crack open the data and steal sensitive information. Statis- statistics gathered by a group set up... The setup to monitor the impact of the freak flaw suggests about 9.5% of the web's top 1 million websites are susceptible to such attacks.
1: Mm.
2: That's scary. The monitoring group has also produced an online tool that lets you check if your browser is vulnerable to the flaw. You can access this tool and learn what you need to do at freakattack.com. I don't know. Microsoft now.
0: Well, now that they're mentioning it, because originally it was thought that this was just smartphones and things like that. But um, to find out that it's also affecting the Windows operating system and nine and a half percent of the world's largest websites. That's a little bit scary because if, if we've talked about it before, if someone is able to intercept play man in the middle with your data and it's encrypted in a non safe way and they're able to decrypt it rather easily then your financial transactions and the things that you're doing online that should be encrypted and that you trust are encrypted could be compromised. And that's a scary, scary Actually,
2: thing. I have a, a weird thought. This mm. FreakAttack.com that you go to find out whether or not your website is at risk. Your
0: computer, your browser that oh, okay. you're using was, on your computer oh, or your okay. phone. Or, okay,
2: because mm-hmm. I was going to say, could anybody just log in and, and see whether or not you're at risk and then target you that way? They could. No.
0: Yes. yes. However, through this service, there, the, it will just simply tell you if your browser is affected. By explo- it basically exploits okay. your browser. It tests if it is exploitable.
2: And then but, it sells you a but fix. There's no, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and then click here to shop on Amazon now that we know. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> An expat American has been arrested in the United Arab Emirates for comments he posted on Facebook while in the U.S. Helicopter mechanic Ryan Pate wrote on Facebook while in Florida after arguing with the global aerospace logistics over sick leave. On returning to Abu Dhabi from Florida, he was arrested for breaking the country's strict cyber slander laws. The laws were introduced in late 2012 and make it an offense to use the net to mock or divide organizations and individuals. His trial is due to start on March 17th, which is St. Patrick's Day, and he could face up to five years in jail and a large fine if found guilty. Well, um, he was on sick leave and in the U.S. while supposedly working in the United Arab Emirates. I don't know. I think that there's something more to this Sasha, don't
0: judge. Come on.
2: Just because he's not. on a
0: beach in Florida.
2: <sighs> Doesn't mean that he's not recovering from something. No,
0: I, as far as I understand it, he, he's seeking medical help from American doctors.
2: Oh, okay. And so to
0: be on sick leave from your work in order to be in America, That's receiving okay. care. And, and it would be frustrating if you're, you're here you know, in, in the United States or Canada for medical treatment and you need to stay longer and your, your employer won't let you.
2: That's true. That, I wonder what their tough. what slander is, like is just stating the facts slander I
0: think no, I think he was probably pretty nasty, but I mean some people have tempers, and right. sometimes it unfortunately shows its way onto Facebook where an emoticon can't necessarily show that you're you know you're just taking it out, so if somebody's watching that and it's illegal, it's illegal
2: Oh, he is not going to have a happy St Patrick's day no. <sighs> The massive multiplayer online game, Star Trek Online, has paid tribute to the late actor Leonard Nimoy with two permanent in-game statues of Spock. One includes the phrase, live long and prosper, while the other reads, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. In the announcement posted on Friday on the Star Trek online website, executive producer Steve Ricasa addressed what the late actor meant to the Star Trek community, calling Leonard Nimoy a cultural icon and explaining that his passing has been felt farther and wider than Leonard himself could have possibly known. And it's that humility, despite all of his skills, talents and fame, that made him someone we all cared about. Nimoy's name also joins another memorial on the site alongside creator Gene Roddenberry, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, and Majel Barrett. The actor who originated the role of Spock passed away on February 27th at age 83. For all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis.
0: Thanks, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson.
1: You can't see me. She's over there. But I'm Kelsey.
0: Hey, Kelsey. How you doing? Good. Great. Okay. We're going to jump right back into our uh, tutorial. We're just going to kind of quickly wrap up. I was able to get through all of the marquee of my children so look at what we've got we've got i've traced simply traced around them and the bench okay so this gives us a really good starting point and then what i did now you see if i turn them off look at what we've got this really cool marquee right around that space so then i copied to my clipboard the children so now i can now disable this layer paste out of the clipboard and now i've got this layer which i will now right click and go layer layer to image size there we are and then we will right click and go select none now it looks exactly like what? the original photo right? Yeah. so what we can do now is we can move the children around on the image and it doesn't look like we've got anything behind that you know we'll tweak it a little bit over the course of the next couple of weeks but basically we're able to move them around on that image and we get a pretty cool effect so that is not what we're going to achieve. We're actually going to have some nice kind of fly-in effect where the background is moving at a different parallax speed than the foreground, and we're going to get a real kind of 3D effect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we're going to be learning over the course of the next few weeks. But that's all the time that we have to commit to it tonight. I hope that you enjoyed the, uh, the first step in our three-part series, how to create the ultimate Slideshow from Still Photos. If you want to catch the rest of that, you'll find it on our website, Category5.tv, or also on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Linux Tech Show. Yeah. Questions. All right. Give me the questions.
1: Okay, I will do that.
0: All right. Our first
1: question comes from Courtney. Hey, Courtney. She says she was clicking around her file explorer and came across a subfolder that surprised her.
0: Oh, It
1: surprised her. I
0: didn't put that there. Oh, sorry, go on.
1: It looks like Windows is storing (laughs) all of her history. The folder is PC, OS, users, Starflight, searches everywhere. And there are thousands of files Uh, in this folder. Yes.
0: Or so you think. Yeah, okay, sorry. The
1: big question is can she delete them all? And have you found that folder in your computer?
0: Every computer has it that is, well, not really, but Windows 7, Windows 8, um, Windows in general has indexed search. Okay. Do you know what that means? No. When you go into my computer or computer on the newer operating systems, you've got a search ability. So you can type in star.jpg and boom, all of the JPEG files on your computer are pretty much instantly up on your screen. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. No. Pretty nice. How does it do that? It indexes reference points, basically, we'll call them. Okay? It's not the technical term, but reference points to those files.
1: Okay.
0: They're not the actual files. They're references to the files. So that w- Windows can very, very quickly find them when you do a search. If it didn't do that, it would have to rely on the media to be able to pull all that data and it would have to spider through the file system. And the NTFS file system is uh, problematic at, at best with that kind of thing. It can be very, very slow. So in order to make it faster, they created this kind of virtual folder that stores everything. So what you are looking at is not duplicates of those files.
1: It is those files.
0: It is a pointer to those files, okay? okay. So if I, if I have a picture that is a very special picture to me, okay? And it's the only copy in the world, and it's on my hard drive. You need to have a backup, by the way. But let's just say, <laughs> for the sake of the example, okay, so this is the beautiful picture of someone that I love. And if I've done a search for star.jpg, now there's a reference point in, in that folder, um, searches everything, okay, for this file. Now, it didn't copy the file. It didn't move the file. It just simply said, that's the file. Whenever anyone does a search, that's the file. Mm-hmm. So now if you go into that folder and delete the reference point, you can't really do that. The reference point points to this file. So if okay. you say delete this, it deletes that. Ooh. So then I've lost my only copy of that file in the whole multiverse. Hopefully there's a parallel universe somewhere where that file still exists. Yeah, let's, uh, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go there. I've got Telestream Wirecast and the ability to browse my hard drive. So let's go. Uh, Users, Category 5 Tech TV searches everywhere. And what do you notice? It looks like it's got everything. So these are basically all the files that have been found when I've done searches. So if I'm looking at this folder, it looks like there is a copy of 5th Anniversary, which is taking up 19.5 megabytes in this folder. Users, Category 5, TV, Searches, Everywhere, Commercials. Okay, that's a problem because that's taking up space in my hard drive. And if you browse, you'll find... Oh my goodness, even the big 2GIG files are, are here. So I want to what? Delete it. Free up some space on my hard drive.
1: But then that'll be
0: gone. <laughs> okay, let's go to properties. And what do we notice? Okay, look at the top here. Users, Category 5 Tech TV, Searches, Everywhere, Commercials, 5th Anniversary. I've gone to the properties of the file. What do we notice? Location, F, not C. Sort me is the folder that I dropped it into slash commercials so there's a folder on my f drive called sort me and it's commercials so if i delete this file
1: you're deleting it from the location
0: i'm deleting it from that not from my c drive it's taking up absolutely zero space in my hard drive in fact well i mean very very little let's go back to searches and right click on everywhere and go properties and say how big is this 248 bytes
1: which is nice. It's a
0: virtual folder. It's not a real folder at all. It's in fact just a place, <clears throat> a place that Windows stores Searchers. those links to those oh. files for searches. So be very, very careful if you're messing around with that. It should be hidden on most systems. Mm-hmm. You don't want to delete anything from there because you're going to no. delete the actual file. Oh. Okay. So notice that those files were on my F drive. That's, yeah. a, that's a big one terabyte drive. My C drive is a little tiny 120 gig um, SSD. Yeah. So if I had thought, oh, well, this is actually taking up 17 gigs on my C drive, my temptation would be to delete everything. But I'd actually be deleting it from my F drive.
1: So I guess, in a bit of a simple terms, it'd be like, uh, like an index in a book.
0: Sort of. Uh, Simlinks, if you're familiar with that on Linux. Although in Linux, uh, I believe most of the time, if you delete the Simlink, you're just deleting the Simlink. Not necessarily the file that is the destination, but uh, yeah, be careful of that. Okay, uh, Courtney, and thank you for the question. Um, that's uh, that's cool.
1: Yeah,
0: I hope that we've been able to help. That's Stay safe. away from it.
1: That's good to know. Because get out of there. Sure get back ever, up. If I had ever found that, I'd yeah. be like, "Hey, this is two gigabytes." You think it's duplicates? Uh, no, thank you. Yeah. I don't appreciate this and just to leave it all. That's all. Disaster like,
0: averted. Wow.
1: So that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, the next question comes from John Brown. Hey, John. Um, he has been inspired um, by our progress with the Nikon DSLR 5100 to purchase and reflash his own. So use the uh, Nikon Hacker Firmware. Firmware, sorry. Um, His testing to date has been with the Avermedia Game Broadcaster HD card.
0: Okay. So that's a capture device.
1: Yep. Uh, Mm -hmm. The question is, has your Magwell card allow you to pull in 1920 by 1800 or close? Yeah. Yeah.
0: The Magwell card (laughs) that we use is a 4K capture card. Okay. It pulls in up to 4K video over HDMI. The Avermedia cards only do 1080p. Huh. I can't believe we're at the point now where I'm saying only 1080p. Only 1080p. But like it's
1: five true. years ago, not even, 1080p was...
0: Yeah, that was it. Oh my. <laughs> That's big. Who who in their right mind would ever need more than a 42-inch TV? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pulling 1080 by... Well, I'm pulling... Well, we're streaming at 720p, so what I pull is actually lower than 1080p. Because the resources that I would use in order to pull 1080p would be higher than pulling 720p. Now, we don't get a true 720p frame because the DSLR camera has an oddly shaped um, sensor. Right. So when we pull video, what you see here, right is um, from a DSLR sensor, which is not 16 over 9, which your screen that you're watching this on is. So if we took the video straight off of the camera in 1080p, it would be stretched. Okay. That's yeah. why we're staying with Magewell, because they allow us to now take that stretched image, which is pulling in for us at 7, you know, it's like it's something around 720 but then we just kind of shrink it down a little bit. or, But yeah, we've had no trouble pulling anything in with the Magewell card. And the, it is the, the best of the three cards that we've used. And we tried the Avermedia and we tried the Black Magic cards. And Black Magic was n- not a go because they are too picky about the, the resolution, the dimensions. Uh, and the Avermedia was the next best thing. Uh, it uh, pulled it in, but it was stretched. And the Magewell card gives us full control over everything so it can look really, really great. The Show Show is going to be starting at the end of the month, and I'm very, very excited about it. Now, we're pulling things together because it costs money for us to be able to launch new shows. So, um, because of last month's internet bill, things are tight. I'm really, really hoping to be able to bring this to you. If you want to support that show, I would ask that maybe when you throw a contribution our way through our website, just make a little note or pop me an email that says, you know, I want that money to go toward the Show Show. And that is specifically a broadcast a supplemental broadcast to this bro- uh, show that is specifically geared toward people like yourself who want to be able to broadcast on the web. Yeah. So I'm going to be taking the knowledge that I have from the mid-90s is when I started broadcasting on the web. I mean as soon as high-speed internet was out and even before that I was broadcasting. So um, the, the knowledge that I have, I hope, is going to help a lot of people. I don't claim to be Um, all that or you know the the go-to guy but (laughs) what i know i'm willing to share and that's what the show show is about and uh, so if that's something that you want to be a part of and and support then i'd appreciate that and these are the kinds of questions that we will do much more than just talk about i'm going to be giving you full examples but check out magewell.com m-a-g-e-w-e-l-l and see some of the devices that they have there. I would stay away from the external devices, go internal, PCIe, and that's going to give you the best performance. Anything over USB is going to be subjected to the limitations of USB.
1: Right. So, what are some of the limitations
2: of USB?
0: Throughput, bandwidth, um, power. The more devices you have, the less you can do. Mm. So, because it's shared bandwidth and CPU usage. Right. USB uses, it's a hog when it comes to CPU. So if you're pulling 1080p video over USB, CPU usage goes way up. Uh, We are pulling HDMI. I'm going to switch real quickly back to our Wirecast system. And you'll see here that while we are pulling video, we're streaming, we're recording to disk, we've got all these cameras open, and we have CPU usage about 40-some-odd to 50%. So that is really because we're using the Magewell card, we're pulling in over HDMI. HDMI through PCI Express is very low resource intensive because mm-hmm. the card is pulling in the video and my computer is really just running Wirecast. So, but if you had a USB device, it's going to be clocking up your CPU probably about 20% mm-hmm. per device. So, ouch. Yes. Ouch.
1: Yes. All right, one more question. This is from Calvin. Thank you, by the way. Sorry, Kelvin? Calvin. Cal- Calvin. Calvin not I have made
0: that mistake before. It's not, it's
1: not the uni- unit of uh, temperature measurement.
0: <laughs> we were talking about the lights, and I, I kept saying Kelvin uh, or Calvin, whichever one is the Calvin. right one.
1: Yeah,
0: Kelvin. I said the wrong one, and so I, I got hated on for that. But Calvin, we got it right. So nice to have you joining us. Thanks.
1: He would like to know how will the switch from Upstart to System D affect the average user or will it mainly affect programmers and power users like Robbie? Like you, I guess. Uh, Is it better? Is System D better than Upstart for Vivid? Um, And what are they? Firstly, I guess, what are Upstart and System D? Okay.
0: Ginormous question. I'm going to take the easy way out and just remind you that we're out of time (laughs) that worked out well for me (laughs) but i I do want to help you but okay talking about init and system d and upstart and all this kind of stuff is very very technical very uh right so maybe you know a good thing for you to research I will post links. I had a chat with Garby in our chat room today, and, and he had some really great resources for us to be able to help you understand this, and I'm going to post those in the show notes for episode number 390, so that you've got a nice little starting place. I'll tell you though, init is basically, it's the first thing that happens when you turn on your Linux computer. The computer has to do something. What's it going to do? It's up to init to tell it what order to do things in, what is dependent on other things, and when we can do all the things that we need to do
1: basically a fancy organizer for a computer
0: kind of sorta but if you think about okay i need to have uh i've got a nas box a network attached storage so my hard drive is on my network Mm -hmm. so if my network card is not yet connected to the network and my computer it tries to connect to the NAS box, how is it going to do that? Because I don't have a network connection yet. Mm-hmm. If it tries to start the X environment, the desktop operating system, the des- desktop that I see, before the NVIDIA drivers have loaded, well, how does that work? Because now it, has no, it can't do it. So, init tells it the order in which to do things. So, the original init that has been around for years and years and years is, is obsolete because it was very sequential. It was very, wait for the network card to come up, then mount your NAS, NAS drives, then do this, then launch NVIDIA, then launch X. And, and it's a very time-consuming process. And so, the boot, boot process was very, very long and slow. So long, comes Upstart from Canonical to try to remedy that. Uh, one of the developers there started it and Canonical decided to back it and they included it in their distribution, Ubuntu. And it was really great because things are happening in parallel. So I'm loading your network drivers and Nvidia drivers at the same time and when the network drivers are up I'm loading NAS and when I when your video drivers are up I'm loading X and so all this stuff is happening in a multitasking way and things are working really really well but then system D comes out a couple years later and says okay we're going to do we're going to take it one step further we're not only going to multitask we're going to put everything in these little containers and say okay now if you want to upgrade your NVIDIA drivers, you can pull that one out, pop in the new one, and everything still runs. And you don't have to restart the whole computer. You can just restart that container or that one driver. Yeah, and things will handy. still work. It also means that the logging system, which normally would have to wait for things like the file system. Mm-hmm. How can you start saving to a log file if your hard drive is not yet mounted? Because there's nowhere to save it. So it has things like buffers and uh, sockets that uh, to make it really lay-speak. Um, starts logging in memory before the hard drive is even mounted and then once the hard drive is mounted it says okay now I can save to the hard drive so it's able to do things in a different order and it's not quite as sequential as the old way of doing init so your boot is but then it also is needed when you shut down because you think okay well when I shut down what happens to my computer everything doesn't just crash and all the power goes out it has to do the backwards of init it has to de-init everything and close it down safely and save the work and close out the log files and do all that Mm -hmm. and that's all a part of it as well. System D was accepted by Debian uh, as the new init daemon so that's a big thing because Ubuntu is based on Debian so you know okay we've been developing this thing called Upstart for so long and it's been coming along really really well it's stable it's rock solid it's working really well but now Debian, which we are based on, is is going to be using System D, okay, maybe that's the way to go, and that's kind of the way things are going. So, you know, probably some hurt feelings in developer land, and, you know, it's it's a hard thing because, you know, they've been kind of neck and neck, and all of a sudden now, okay, Canonical's product is going by the wayside. So, um, we'll see what happens over the next little while. I hope that that little quick summary has uh, has helped you, but otherwise, we are completely out of time. I went a little bit over there.
1: Oops. Okay. Blah
0: blah 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 blah. blah.
1: <laughs>
0: I will post links for you to really summarize things and, and give you more details. So our intro music is gonna run out. Before that happens, I'm gonna restart it and we're out. Have a great week. Kelsey, thanks for being here. Adam. Yep. Cheers, man. And we'll see you next Tuesday night.
1: Bye
0: <laughs> bye.